On today's show, special guest Matt Neglia comes on. He's the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, and he helps us break down the 93rd Annual Academy Awards. We have Brinks Trucks bets as well, because again, doesn't matter what the event is, folks, the West Coast gamblers are here to make you money. How do you say that? How do you know that? Five simple words, that is impossible Mr. To know. Back up the Brinks truck. Who you betting on? Always on black, fast stats in the pocket, whole squad, fast cash. Send the bookie, tell him bring it from the bag. No, we coming for the bag. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to the few in attendance and the thousands listening around the world, let's get ready to gamble. My name is Tony Cavallo. As always, I'm with Matthew Dangles, D'Angelo Antonio, Schaefer the Sharp, Drew Schaefer Crookson, and we are the West Coast Gamble. It's a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and on today we're doing a very special show because it's Oscar Sunday. Oh, it's Oscar Sunday, the biggest night in Hollywood. They're giving out all those golden little statues. Everyone's dressed to the nines, and apparently they're all going to be in attendance, COVID or not. I can't wait to watch it unfold, and we are going to find ways to make you money on the Oscars. We have a guest, Matt Neglia, coming on in a little bit right after this to sort of help us guide our ways into making money on some of these big bets. I know Drew's seen most of these movies. Dangles has seen most of these movies. I've seen most of these movies. We are actors ourselves, and we love diving into the to the cinematics of it all. And then at the end of the show, after the interview, the three of us will be giving out our backup The Brinks Truck bet of the week for Oscars Sunday after we learn some knowledge from the master himself. Before we get into the interview, guys, you got anything to say about the movies that we're about to be talking about? Tony Squares, I mean, listen, listen. I just, I, I feel weird. I feel weird being in Michigan, not in L.A. for the Oscar buzz, as you know, as you know it well currently, perhaps. Uh, a lot of work to be done uh, in Oscar weekend in Los Angeles. I did it for about half a decade, so feel a little uh, fish out of water here in Kalamazoo, but come Sunday, I'll be over uh at an Oscar watch party, drinking a margarita, uh, maybe you know, maybe sipping on a California delicacy in plant form. You never know, and just uh, just enjoying the show, just enjoying the show. Drew, in a past life, we have worked many an Oscar after party where we are not allowed to talk about the things we saw. It's uh, yes, we ha- yes we have, my friend. One day we will write a book on it, bro. One I, day I've signed significantly fewer NDAs than you guys have in in uh, that sense, but uh, but I have uh, I have produced a, <laughs> I have produced a film review show, and I work very closely with professional film critics. And this is a weird year, man. It's a strange year because you had obviously all these movies that people would normally be seeing on the big screens being watched in in their homes. So I think you have movie viewers sort of uh, taking in this year's films in a lot different way than they have uh, in past years, and I feel like that has an uh, a potential to affect both the way that the Academy voters see them uh, and and normal voters too. You you didn't really get to experience kind of the the feel of the movies this year in the same way that you have in past years when we've had movies like 1917, for example. Which, I mean, I tried watching that on a regular TV and it was just it was just like any other World War II movie. You got to be in the theater with your seat shaking Absolutely. and your bones shaking to like really get the feel for that. So I'll be interested to see how this year with the theater closures of COVID uh, and all that really translate into the way that the Academy voters uh, have looked at this year's nominees for both films and uh, actors and actresses. Absolutely. Very quickly, somehow Nomadland, a runaway, uh, a runaway uh, for Best Picture this year, um, implied odds of 87% to take home Best, Best Picture. I've actually heard people watch that film and somehow romanticize about RV life or van life or gypsy life. Have you seen the picture? Have you seen the picture? 
What what about that looks fun? I don't know, but somehow it, it, it calls to people, so that's my two cents. I'll tell you, after I watched that movie, I romanticize about tying a rope around my neck and throwing it around the fan. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, let's move on to our guest, Mr. Matt Neglia, after the break. West, 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 West Coast Gamblers. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts. Our next guest is calling in all the way from Brooklyn, New York, a state that Dangles and I used to call home. He is the owner and editor-in-chief of NextBestPicture.com and the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Not only is he an awards pundit, but he is a member of the Critics' Choice Association. He is here to help us with our Oscar bets to make you money on Oscar Sunday. And we told Evergreen, if you were going to send us our first ever movie pundit, well, like Luca Brazzi once said, this pundit needs to be a masculine pundit. And this man once sat through the entirety of the Irishman in one sitting. And he is here right now with a side of fava beans and a nice Chianti, and he is ready for his close-up. So please welcome to the show for the first time ever, Mr. Matt Neglia. Welcome to the show, Matt. That was a badass introduction. I don't think I've ever gotten an introduction like that before. We are known for our intros here on the West Coast Gamblers. Ask ask Joe Lenardi, ask Ryan Hurd, ask anyone. <laughs> that was pretty amazing. I'm very excited to be here. But before I was excited, now I'm in the very excited territory. <laughs> good, good. I'm excited too because not only are, are do you have this podcast, Next Best Picture, not only do you know your movies, you know how to dive into them, but also... We're teammates, my friend. We are both members of the Evergreen Podcast Network. It's kind of like a synergy that we're building here. And, you know, Evergreen, after they listen to this podcast, they might not know the wolves that they let into the hen house with the West Coast gamblers, but we might not be team members for much longer after this interview, but it's happy to be here now. (laughs) Hey, you know what? Whatever brings people together, you know, I'm all for that. And uh, I'm just very happy to be here. Exactly. I'm, I'm happy that you're here, too, because you're going to help us not only learn more about these movies, some of which we've seen, some of which we haven't, but also if we can make money on Oscars Sunday, because what's better than making money off of the biggest night in Hollywood? I do have a question before we begin, because I need to know who you are as a person. Did okay. you vote for Moonlight or La La Land? In terms of my official prediction? or <laughs> No, no, no. When you watch these two movies, which one was the best picture in your eyes? It tells a lot about a person. Yeah, I was a Moonlight. I still am a Moonlight guy. Okay. Okay. We're going to get along Tony just Squares. fine. Tony Squares, <laughs> were you referencing my famous story that I haven't told Matt? Uh, would you believe, Matt, I actually took Moonlight that year working an Oscar party in Los Angeles. I believe I had Moonlight at 6-1. to one. Didn't expect much of it. It was pizza money. Uh, La La Land's, you know, winner. I go back to scullery, you know, throwing some forks <laughs> in a disgusting pail. A past and life. And next thing, next, a past life. Next thing I know, 
Uh, there's chaos. Moonlight is the victory. I looked down on my online account, and I just made money. It was the most amazing bet I ever won. Moonlight forever and always will be one of my favorite films. <laughs> That's incredible. Listen, after La true La story. Land, I called all of my exes. I checked in with them. It just spoke so true to me, and that'll always speak true to me. But hey, you can like Moonlight. I liked Moonlight. I just, you know, a little bit more like of a both. musical guy. Both were in my yeah. top ten that year, you know? And so so you are a, a cinephile. You've loved movies forever, I presume, ever since ever since you were young? Ever since I was about 11 years old, yeah. And I yeah. mean, even before that, I always loved movies. But 11 when I started getting, like, obsessed with movies. Yeah, and was there a particular movie or a particular director or whatever that sort of made you dive in even more? Oh, yeah, totally. It was when I saw Lord of the Rings uh, for the first time. For me, that was my generation's Star Wars, where of a sense of awe and wonder of what could be achieved cinematically. Um, yep. And also just a total immersion into a whole fantasy world and the world building and like learning about crafts and things like uh, makeup and cinematography and so on and so forth. Plus that movie just like came out at the right time when bonus features were like blowing up and oh, yeah. studios actually gave a shit about putting uh, special features on uh, discs back then. So I think all of that just fueled my fascination with this art form. Oh, I agree completely. And there was so much done in that movie that was not special effects to like put put in like just how they place people on the camera to make the Hobbit seem smaller than Gandalf. It, it was yep. a beautiful, beautiful movie. And I, I'm a huge fan of Christopher Nolan as well and what he does for real Z's flipping over the 18 wheeler in the dark night. Just whenever you can step away from the special effects and actually do it in front of the camera in person, it's huge. And Lord of the Rings is huge to that for sure. A little more profound than when I started loving movies, when I realized that Arnie Grape and Jack Dawson were the same person, and it actually blew my mind in a literal sense, and uh, my love of DiCaprio started, and it's never really ended. Big Leo guy over here, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for a long time, he's been one of my favorite uh, actors, and uh, just recently, I had to uh, kind of pass the baton from Leo over to uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Now, he's my favorite actor now. <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal. Wow. What, what, is there anything in particular that made you go, that's, that's a movie that not, uh, no one else can do? I feel like he's willing to take more risks and bigger swings than Leo, who I feel plays it very safe a lot of the time. Yeah. No, I feel you on that. And we've seen Leo at, uh, at some events out here in Malibu. He plays it safe all the time. Is that right, Drew? <laughs> That's correct. Um, that's very correct. He likes his Fiji water and kind of staying out of the limelight. Now, Matt, you're a uh, you know we're a betting a betting show, so I got to ask: Are you have you bet on the Oscars before? Uh, and and if not, are you considering maybe doing so this year? Now that uh, uh, gambling on sports and other events like this is a little bit easier, depending on where you live. Uh, so for me, the last time I ever bet on the Oscars was 2009, and it was just something that me and some friends did. To be honest with you, I don't think that my friends knew that I was like obsessed and good at this stuff. So when I won, I completely destroyed them, and... <laughs> I don't know. We got a sharp, boys. We got a film sharp. Thank I don't you, know Slumdog why. I don't know why I haven't done it ever since. I I just never did. But I mean, I we do it for fun. Like me and some of the folks over at Next Best Picture will like do for bragging rights who got the most right and stuff, and we'll have like a little friendly inner competition. But I've never, yeah, I've never thrown money down on this stuff ever since then. It's it's something that's expanding as the world of legalized gambling is expanding. You can throw money on literally everything, and the Oscars is fun because. 
it's not necessarily a sporting event. It's something that's already decided, and you're trying to see through the lens of, of some of these uh, these Academy Award members and what they vote on and what they respect. And there are some, as we're going to go through some of the lines here, there are some races that are seemingly already decided. Some huge favorites, some long, long shots. And then there are some, like Best Actress, I'm very interested to get into it because the field seemingly is wide open on who could win this. But uh, I want to start... We're going to go through the six big awards for our listeners at home. Best uh, best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress. And we're going to start, try to see if we can make money on any of these big awards, and maybe if we have some long shots in the other categories as well we can dive into. But I wanted to start with Best Picture. That's the big one. That's the one everyone's going to be talking about at the end of the night. And there is a heavy favorite right now in Nomadland. They are minus 670 to win it. And I, if you've seen that movie, you came home crying. It is a very hard-hitting movie, but that is a favorite of the Oscars. The trial of the Chicago 7, which, you know, holds a dear place in my Syracuse heart, is sitting there at 6-1. to one. Minari is 14-1. to one. Promising Young Woman uh, with Carrie Mulligan is 17-1. to one. Judas and the Black Messiah, which is my personal favorite movie of the year, is 33-1. to one. Mank is also 33-1, to one, and I, I truly don't know how that one got nominated for Best Picture, but it's in there anyway, talking about old Hollywood. Sound of Metal, the Riz Ahmed uh, Amazon Prime vehicle is 50 to 1, and then The Father is the longest of long shots at 100 to 1. Before we go into those individual movies, is there any movie you saw this year, Matt, that you think deserved to be in that category of the nominations? And is there any of the eight movies I just uh, I just talked about there not deserving to be in the Best Picture category? I mean, look, what I think is irrelevant... I have my favorites, absolutely, yeah. and I have my own personal top 10 uh, films of the year that I would like to see in a Best Picture lineup for sure, uh, but I but I will tell you right now, I, I didn't give a single one of these uh, negative reviews on my site at all, so I'm very happy with this Best Picture lineup in many okay. ways, and yeah, there there's, some of them are not, like I said high ranking in my top 10 for me but they all got high marks from me overall so do i think something doesn't deserve to be there no if anything i think that they could have made room uh for more and you know next year they will be going back to a straight 10 no more sliding between 5 and 10 anymore so i'm very much looking forward to that because i genuinely despise that movies like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom or One yep. Night in Miami or heck, maybe even Borat's subsequent movie film. Who knows? You know, they Ooh. could have all have shown up here. Maybe Soul even. I would have yeah. liked to have seen an animated film get back yeah. in there again. But, you know, next year we'll have a straight 10. I think it's going to be a lot better uh, in that circumstance where hopefully people will not feel like something is left out. I know it's always tough, Matt, to ask a critic his personal favorite of this list. But do you have a film that's nominated for Best Picture, that's personally your favorite of the year? Yeah, I, I've made no... <laughs> I, I, I have literally not left it a secret at all that my favorite film of the year has been, since I saw it at Sundance last year, Promising Young Woman. Uh, yeah. That film knocked me on my ass. It was a conversation starter. I've talked to people who passionately hate the film. I've talked to people who passionately love the film. And for me, that's what this art form is all about. And that's the thing that I think is most exciting. I like that it takes risks, even if some people found those risks to be uh, deeply troubling. Uh, that That's why it's a risk. You know, you're yeah. not going to please everyone with where you decide to take that story. And I just thought that it had a style and a confidence to that style that was just very infectious while watching it. It, it was 
it, it was easily my favorite this year. No, I loved it too. I thought it was I thought it was a marvelous movie. I also really loved. I know Drew did not, which I want to get into this next. The Trial of the Chicago Seven. I'm a big fan of 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 straight set piece stuff where it's all about the dialogue. It's all about the actors. I thought the whole entire ensemble was amazing. And I love Sorkin. I'm a Sorkin buff. I thought the dialogue, I'm happy it's nominated. I don't think it's going to win, even though it's the second favorite. But Drew, I know you did not love this movie as much as I did. Yeah, I just, I from the trial of Chicago 7 to me, from what I understand, those the, the, the people on actual trial were young men in their early 20s, were they not? And I thought, you know, the Sasha Baron, the Sasha Baron, Cohen character and um, help me out Strong. with his name. The guy from C- Jeremy Strong. Thank you. Um, fantastic performances. Uh, I just thought they just might have been a wee old uh, for that specific role, um, and I just was kind of thrown off by that. That's all. I mean, I understand that this film was in developmental hell for many, many years, and they could have probably have recasted at a certain point for sure. But um, I don't, from a historical standpoint, stuff like that doesn't tend to bother me. Um, I, I do tend to get more bothered by pacing, by uh, screenwriting issues, and it doesn't have anything to do with what I like or don't like. What I like or don't like, I, I think, is irrelevant, hence my Promising Young Woman take before. It's more yep. just about, from a structural standpoint, uh, does the writing make sense? You know, Does something feel like it's tonally mismatched from what the film set up before, rules-wise, its own rules, if you will? Uh, like, is it consistent in its tone, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, when I watch a movie like The Favorite or even Braveheart, uh, which all play around with history and have changed things for their story, it, that stuff just doesn't tend to bother me. No offense. No, none taken. <laughs> and we don't support ageism was, on this podcast. Drew, was Drew. it really was it really just the lack of uh, um, shots with people walking down hallways as the camera spins around them that you didn't like about the the trial of the Chicago Seven? Because I mean, well, I know there weren't quite well, as many of those as you might get in a Sorkin film like Molly's well, Game or The Social Network. Well, listen, I, th- th- this will be my last kind of a joke of, of of anything, but I'm big Sorkin guy. Obviously, I love David Fincher. I was so excited for Trial of Chicago Seven and Mank because. Sorkin and Fincher, what could go wrong? So I'll never forget getting my dad, uh, I mean, Fincher, you know, Fight Club, Ben Button, Social Network. I mean, you can't go wrong. And so I get my dad, who is not a film critic by any stretch, and he watches the entire uh, film of Mank down in our basement very late night. And uh, he said he had a one-word one word review of Mank, and he said, stank. Now, <laughs> I don't think if that's – I'm not sure if that was accurate, but – Mank and Trial, I think the reason the Trial of Chicago 7 was a little, uh, I was just a little disappointed because the expectation was so high, if that makes sense, for both those films, Mank and Trial of Chicago 7. I agree with that to a certain degree because with Trial, I didn't really have high expectations because Sorkin has proven himself to be more of a writer than he is a director. This is only his second uh, directorial uh, feature film. So, you know, in many ways while watching it, I was kind of like, you know, giving him, I will admit, like a little bit of leeway because all I could think of was, you know what, if the writing is good, if I like the acting, et cetera, et cetera, then, you know, I'll I'll, I'll let let it go. I think he's a very um, average, you know, director. Uh, hence why he didn't get the director nomination this year. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I really look at Travel to Chicago 7, and I think anybody could have directed that film. Any competent director could have done what he had done. There isn't really a signature style or anything like that. The signature style is in the writing, um, yes. which, you know, it's funny. Like, you know, you ask yourself, what would this movie have been like if Fincher directed it and Sorkin wrote it, you know? In, in regards to that, you know, it's like with Mank 2, I get it. 
I've seen Mank now twice um, because, quite frankly, I didn't want to like overload it and watch it multiple times. But first time I watched it, I will fully admit I was a bit underwhelmed. However, Fincher films historically, even the ones that people considered maybe even the worst, like, uh, I don't know, like The Game or The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, they always hold themselves up to rewatches. Mm-hmm. Always. He's a 100%. filmmaker like Quentin Tarantino where, you know, if a Fincher film is on, you just want to watch it. And I rewatched Mank, and I have to admit, I liked it a lot more once my expectations were uh, set, and I didn't have those high expectations anymore, and I enjoyed it for what it was. And what I think it was was obviously something that people weren't expecting, and I think it's actually more complex and more richly layered than people gave it credit for, but I don't think that that's something that people are going to appreciate now. I think it's something that they will appreciate over time. Gotcha. I like that. I like that answer. I might have to give it a rewatch myself because I, too, was underwhelmed is the easiest way to say what i was after watching that movie but as of out of these eight nominees is nomad land as vegas thinks the surefire winner or are we going to have a surprise come sunday you can always have a surprise there's a reason why whenever there's a number one film in the race even if they appear to be so far ahead of the competition there's always a number two people seem to forget that there are eight nominees and to be honest I can't recall the last time that a film that wasn't number one or number two in the race moving all the way up to win the damn thing in the end. That just doesn't happen. It's traditionally the number one or the number two film. You might have a number three film in there that is a bit higher than the others, but it's not necessarily contending for the win. But it might do all right on the night when things are over. You know, you look at something like Mad Max Fury Road winning six Oscars, but it was never going to win Best Picture. Um, or Manchester by the Sea winning actor and screenplay. Uh, but, it, you know, same thing. No one considered anything outside of La La Land and Moonlight. So yep. this year it is strictly between Nomadland and The Trial of Chicago 7. Nomadland has won pretty much all of the major things you needed to win. However, there are tiny things here and there that it didn't win. Tiny. And when I say tiny, I mean, like, literally the tiniest in the world. For example... <laughs> It did not win SAG Ensemble. That went to the trial of the Chicago 7. It didn't win the ACE Eddie Award for Best Edited Feature. That, too, went to the trial of the Chicago 7. But it won Critics' Choice. It won the Golden Globe. It won the BAFTA. It won the PGA. It won the DGA. It did not win the WGA because it was not eligible there, so it didn't win that. But neither did trial of the Chicago 7. You know, it's like I was telling a friend the other day, Parasite last year won SAG. ACE, WGA, and then it won uh, at the BAFTA for uh, screenplay as well to complement that WGA win. So on the night heading in, it was pretty fair to say that Parasite was probably going to win screenplay and best international feature. If you were predicting it to rise up and overtake 1917, which had won Globe, BAFTA, PGA, TGA, the same as Nomadland has this year. Then what you were doing was you were really predicting uh, a scenario where something like Crash beat Brokeback Mountain or Moonlight beat La La Land, which, funnily enough, the Moonlight La La Land one, uh, statistically speaking, in terms of precursors that were, like, gathered, uh, Moonlight has, like, one of the worst precursor runs, but still uh, triumphing in the end. You know, and a lot of people always talk talk to me about, and I tell them, 
uh, you know, stats aren't all that matters. Yeah, you can look at what's one what and what the correlation is. I love doing that. I do charts yeah. and stuff like that. I'm doing that right now this week where I'm releasing my predictions in uh, three different articles and I'm breaking down the stats of each category and what they've won and so on and so forth. But there's always an outside factor. There's always something else, you know, and p- this is not quantifiable. So it's really, really tough a lot of times. Uh, and we try to look at quantifiable things for it. For example, audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, box office results. It is basically how much do people actually really like this movie? Yeah. Not critics, people, regular yeah. people. People need to understand that Academy members are not film critics. They are, for the most part, in a lot of ways, regular average people that just simply have jobs in the film industry. <laughs> And and I guarantee you, they a lot of them don't watch as many movies as film critics do. Yeah. Uh, they probably watch as many movies as an average person on the street does in a lot of cases. Because uh, most of the time, they're working. And they don't have time yeah. to watch everything. So you got to, like, gauge what you think will do well with the casual goer. And so what I usually do is I usually gauge uh, people who, like my parents, for example, who are in their late 50s. Or friends of mine who um, are around my age, but they don't watch movies the same way I do. They don't watch as many movies as I do. I, I'll, I'll ask them if they've seen the Best Picture nominated films and what they have to say. And as a result of that, yeah, okay, fine. Nomadland is definitely out in front <laughs> from a statistical perspective. And there is definitely an underlying feeling this year of, oh, my God, I'm just ready for this season to be over. I'm ready for 2020 to be over. Let's put it behind us. Everyone's picking Nomadland. You picking Nomadland? Yeah. All right. I'm picking Nomadland. (laughs) And that's it. You know, it's like they might just be like, I'm done. I don't want to put any thought into this. And like, let's just get it over with. Um, But then, you know, you do talk to people who they genuinely think Child of Chicago 7 is more entertaining. It has relevance because it's a film about protest racial inequality is a a factor in there and there's a lot that's just happening this past year that factors a lot into it so that is a very very potent mix to have where you have social relevance plus entertainment uh nomadland kind of slow quiet reflective yep not gonna jive with everyone yeah it's beautiful and you know i i definitely think it will have an emotional impact on people who watch it but when I think of winners or presumed winners in the past, like Boyhood or Roma, they were the critics pick. They were the films yeah. that dominated their season in terms of stats. And then when we got to Oscar voting, Oscar voters turned around and watched those movies and said, that's it. That's all it was. That's what all the hype was about. That's what got everyone yeah. going crazy. Not much seemed to happen in it. And you know what I, really is scary? I've heard the same thing about Nomadland. I mean, you talk about those two films. You t- I feel like those are two films that are like the film buffs sort of films, right? Like this yep. Linklater, obviously Boyhood being this like multi-decade plus long project that Linklater undertook, you know, with filming this family. And then um, Roma, which I'm still halfway through. Which, of course, you know, was a cinematic masterpiece um, right. by Cuaron. And, and obviously that's a huge, obviously Yalitza Aparicio was great in it, but like the big big draw of it is the way that it's shot in the cinematography i think i tell people all the time like you know does in the heat of the night get taught in film schools no it's bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> you know it's like no one's going to be talking about green book in the history books other than the fact that it won best picture they'll be doing c- courses on uh roma someday you know and yeah. it's like mm-hmm. I, I for me that's like 
in terms of those movies, th- that's always for me to last laugh, which is why when a movie like Parasite or Moonlight does win, it's so freaking sweet, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> it's so rare. But I want to be very clear about something else, too. One thing influences another, and I know it sounds like, based on what I'm saying, like, I'm almost kind of saying that you should pick Travel Chicago 7 to win. However, stats don't favor that. And it's not just these best picture categories that um, from other shows prior to this that have influenced that. It's also you got to look at what else is it winning on the night? What else is it winning to suggest that there is broad support amongst all the members of the Academy that they didn't just give it a win here. They also gave it a win here, here and here to propel it to the best picture. Because I I highly doubt people for the most part. I mean, I could be wrong about this, but I highly doubt people vote for something for Best Picture and then nothing else. Right. All right. Well, we tried, Sorkin. We tried. Let's move on now to Best Actor. This one uh, is pretty much a done deal, according to Vegas. Chadwick Boseman, the late great Chadwick Boseman from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, is almost minus 1,700 as the favorite. Anthony Hopkins is 7-1 to one for The Father. Riz Ahmed for The Sound of Metal, 14-1. to one. Stephen Yoon from Minari, 25-1. to one. And Gary Oldman from Mank, 33-1. to one. Is anyone stealing this from the late, great Chadwick Boseman? You know, it really could be Hopkins. It really could be. It, it, wow. If it is going to be anyone, it is going to be Hopkins. Um, there is a, there is one precedent of two actors splitting precursors uh, between Jack Nicholson and Daniel Day-Lewis in 2002. And then in a shocker, Adrian Brody came up the middle for The Pianist. <laughs> and that could the be Riz Ahmed, yes. maybe. But Ooh. I would never bet on that happening i would cite it and say hey listen if it does happen you know it right. happened before it could happen again but i would never in a million years ever say that that's the way that this is going to go down no i think that chadwick um was a beloved icon for many in this uh, generation he was like a new generation's denzel washington and i think that honoring his legacy because you look at that man's body of work in a, such a short filmography he had some very iconic characters and performances that he played that absolutely this is just a great culmination i don't think anyone's going to be upset about it even if they don't think that he's the best in the category but people i i will admit and i'm one of those people too objectively in terms of overall performance I really do think Hopkins is the best of the category, and I know a lot of people who feel that way. A lot of people. And so there's other factors to consider here. Ma Rainey's not nominated for Best Picture. Right. The father is. So most members of the Academy prefer that movie overall. Now you might think, okay, well, maybe they like Ma Rainey's individual elements. They just couldn't get it over the finish line to a Best Picture nomination. Could be true. You know, the results yep. will the results will tell us. <laughs> right. But I think that it is very alarming how many people I've seen say that Hopkins is the best and he should win. But I do look at it also from a standpoint of how many of the all-time great performances were nominated and lost because someone had a stronger narrative behind their right. win. And that happens all the time. And I don't think Hopkins cares. I highly doubt he's even going to be at the ceremony. He already (laughs) has one for the Silence of the Lambs. You know, God willing, he lives a couple more years, you know, and he maybe he has another chance. I don't. But to be honest with you, it's like if he doesn't get it, like who cares? Like only because if you worry about this, if you genuinely like get bent out of shape over it, they didn't reward the best. It's very rarely about rewarding the best. Hopkins winning BAFTA makes sense. He's a British icon. Chadwick winning here in America, where he's clearly more popular here than he is uh, over there, 
it all makes sense. That's why Chadwick yeah. is ahead. That's why I think he's going to win. If Hopkins does win, I won't say that I would be surprised, but I would definitely, um, I would, I would just caution everyone to not get so bent out of shape about it. Um, because at the end of the day, I don't think anything can hurt either one of these two men's legacies, not including a loss at this year's Oscars. Both of them are fantastic performances, and we should just be lucky that we have a category that has such great performances in it. Absolutely. Matt, you referenced it, you referenced it earlier, um, and, and it was perfect, perfect description of, of this category. But I just want to say I was personally blown away by Riz Ahmed and Sound of Metal. I, I was, I was from, from, from his character, you know, in, in Nightcrawler to Night Of, you kind of see his range, but I had no idea mm-hmm. he's capable of that range of not only a heavy metal drummer, but learning sign language and the emotional just journey he went on in that film. That was personally my favorite performance of the year. I get it. Kind of tough year to be nominated with, with Chadwick and Hopkins, but uh, I think we're going to hear from that guy for years to come. That guy is talented. Oh, yeah. I think he'll definitely be back. This is clearly a Welcome to the Club nomination, and if he continues mm-hmm. the momentum that he's on with this, I think he could win within the next decade for sure. All right. Let's move on to a category that is probably the closest out of all the categories we're talking about today. Ooh. It's best actress i'm excited about this uh carrie mulligan is the favorite for promising young woman at plus 125 our first plus money favorite viola davis from ma rainey's black bottom is plus 200 francis mcdormand for nomadland is four to one uh, uh andre day for united states versus billy holiday playing billy holiday is six to one and vanessa kirby's the long shot pieces of a woman for 20 to one a wide open category my friend do you have any insight on who you think is taking home the hardware no, and if anybody tells you that they do, they're lying to you. And <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <I> <laughs> no one, and th- this is so challenging because each uh, four out of the five have won one of the lead-up awards. The only one, the only actress that hasn't won an award in the lead-up to the Oscars is Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, and she's the long shot. So it almost, from a betting standpoint, makes sense to take her and make big money on her and put a little bit down. I don't know. I'm just, just, just saying. I mean, there, is, there are some people out there who. Once again, they think that this category is an abundance of riches of all worthy performances. They could imagine a world where I, any of them win. Um, and honestly, if any one of them wins, no one will be upset about it. Because like I said, they're all great performances that deserve to win. And they all have such an equal shot at winning that I've heard some people say, man, they should just give it to Kirby. This way everyone gets a prize and everybody could just go home <laughs> happy, you know? Um, who knows? Maybe some people will think that way, but I don't think they do. I think that people vote for what they think is objectively the best performance or for the film that they like more. Um, you know, there's an argument to be made that they like Nomadland the most, so Francis will come along with that. There is right. an argument to be made that Carrie Mulligan has never won before where Viola and Francis McDormand have. And this is like the right time in her career, the right movie. It's clearly beloved. Her performance is also really, really loved in that movie by a lot of people. Then there's Viola Davis, who, I mean, is just a powerhouse icon who, she's awesome. quite frankly, why would you not want to just give her all the awards in the world? Um, and she's really fantastic at Ma Rainey. Now, I've talked to some voters about this category because this is the category that we're all dying to hear the most insight on. And I've heard every single argument and I've heard every single advocacy. And it's really tough because there really is no consensus. Mm. I, I, but I would venture to say by process of elimination, I would first take out Kirby and Andre Day because they are low nominees for their films. No other nominations to suggest that people love their movies. Yep. And 
And yeah, and so <laughs> Matt, can we can we really consider Frances McDermott in this category? Because like, listen, she's won two Oscars. I liked her performance, mm-hmm. but she's been great for so many years. And for me, the character of Fran was just a combination. Like, pick pick a character in her in her filmography: Primal Fear, Three Billboards, Fargo. It's like she she combined all these characters. She was awesome, but yeah. she can't compete with Viola and Carrie in this category. No, that's she? why I have Frances in number three. Do I think it's possible that she gets swept up with Nomadland? Absolutely, I, I think it's possible. But Carrie and Viola are at the top for me, and I think it all boils down to a couple of different factors, one of which is Viola won the SAG, and SAG has voter overlap with the Academy, so it's highly, highly important to keep that in mind. But her film doesn't have a Best Picture nomination. Um, Carrie has a Best Picture nomination. Her film actually didn't miss a single nomination anywhere uh, that Mm. is considered, quote-unquote, important. Um, And Carrie only has Critics' Choice, which has no voter overlap. But this year, they did this weird thing with the BAFTAs where they had a 7- to 12-person jury vote on each category who the nominees were going to be. And then we saw uh, situations where uh, presumed frontrunners were not in those categories. And so she didn't get a nomination there. And there is a commonly held belief amongst a lot of people that because the film won screenplay and outstanding British film, even over the father, which won an acting prize for Hopkins and screenplay, there's a lot of people who believe that promise young woman, um, that Carrie Mulligan would have won best actress had she been in that category. Mm. In that scenario, I would default to the person that had the best picture nomination, which would be Mulligan. And that's kind of where I am landing. However, there's also this commonly held belief that Ma Rainey's Black Bottom was probably number nine for Best Picture. They only nominated eight this year uh, because you can look at its nomination hall and kind of infer that. But yeah, it, it's really tough because <laughs> the thing is this. We know that voters don't watch all the films, but we know they will make time to watch the Best Picture nominated uh, nominees. So right. that that does give people like Francis and Mulligan a slight edge. But you know, with Ma Rainey, I'm sure people are watching it for Viola and Chadwick. I'm sure. So yeah. maybe the best picture thing is not a factor as much. Then there's also to consider, and this is just a stats thing. No film that has not been nominated for best picture. Uh, and I think you have to go back to the Born Ultimatum in 2007. And that was like a tech sweeper. Mm-hmm. But no film since then that it was not nominated for best picture. And certainly not since it's been reintroduced with the preferential balloting system in 2009 has a non-Best Picture nominated film won more than two Oscars on the night. And Ma Rainey, by all stats, is looking like it's going to win three. Costumes, makeup, and Chadwick. So to win right. a fourth for crazy. Viola, it, yeah. just, it just seems like stat overkill. And people will tell that. me, oh, Matt, like, don't don't go by that. But listen, we're talking about odds here, right? Yep. So yep. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I have to weigh the fact that Ma Rainey is not nominated for Best Picture in this scenario. Plus... There's also an argument that Viola, when people watch her role, they think it's too small. She's overshadowed by Chadwick. She's supporting. I've heard voters tell me that. Um, I think it's ridiculous, but that's what people are saying. They're also saying she has one already. She has one for supporting. Uh, Francis also has one, you know, and it's like I defaulted on Mulligan because of all these combination of factors. But I will fully sit here and admit to all of you that. I have no fucking idea. 
Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go, Carrie. I'm rooting for you. All right, we'll rifle through these next three because again, they're pretty much decided according to Vegas. Maybe you have a long shot that could win it, but best director, uh, the uh, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, heavy favorite, minus thirty four hundred. David Fincher for Mank is ten to one. Lee Isaac Chung for Minari is seventeen to one. Emerald Fennell, Promising Young Woman, is twenty to one. And Thomas Vinterberg for the international movie Another Round is twenty five to one. Is it Nomadland or bust? Yeah, it, it, there's absolutely no way. Regardless of what happens in picture, there's no way that Chloe Zhao is losing this. Got it, got it. And best supporting actor for these Oscars. I mean, again, we haven't talked about Judas and the Black Messiah. That was my personal favorite movie. Daniel Kaluuya is minus 2,500 to win this. Uh, there's a couple of others in here. Sasha Baron Cohen, 12 to 1. Lakeith Stanfield, is for, who was Judas in Judas and the Black Messiah, is 33 to 1. Leslie Odom Jr., One Night Miami, 17 to 1. And then Paul Racy Sound of Metal, 12 to 1. Again, is this Daniels to lose? Uh, yeah, of all of the acting categories, this one is the lockiest of the locks and definitely the easiest one to predict. Perfect, because I I mean, we're not going to have time to talk about that one. That movie moved me to the core. I thought it was almost perfect. I loved that movie. And Best Supporting Actress, do you have anyone here? I mean, Glenn Close, Hillbilly Elegy, I can guarantee you no one saw that movie. And Maria Bakalova <laughs> for Borat's subsequent movie film. Good for her for getting a nomination in, in what I believe was her first big role in the uh, fantastic that she's nominated for an oscar but best supporting actress looks like it's going to minari as well she's the heavy favorite at minus 500 do you have any insight on best supporting yeah i think that after she won sag and even if she hadn't won bafta but she did win bafta that just sealed the deal for me that this is going to be union jung for uh minari i think that uh people are looking for a way to reward that movie people absolutely love that movie and from most people that i spoke to um, she is the thing that people seem to love the most about it. So she's commonly referred to as the Meryl Streep of South Korea. She's had an amazing career. Wow. Um, I, I think that this is definitely the best way uh, that this category can go. And I'm super happy that she's going to win. Awesome. Well, hey, man, thank you for your insight on how we can make some money on these movies. And I'm excited to, to watch Oscar Sunday, not only for the glitz and glam. I'm actually working the Oscars right now out here in L.A., so I get to see the whole setup down at Union Station. It's a remarkable, remarkable thing they're building down there, and I'm excited to see it all take place. And now we know how we can make some money with our listeners on this show. Thank you very <laughs> much for joining us, Matt Neglia. We hope to have you back. Yeah, no, this was a lot of fun, and I really, really appreciate you guys uh, making the time to have me here so that I could, you know, rattle off some of these uh, statistics. All I will say is um, I always tell people all the time if they're, if they're betting on these things, you know, go with the front runners if you want to, you know, truly, you know, just get everything right. But I would I would highly encourage going for those number two choices. It's very, very rare that a number three choice or below is going to come up. I mean, whoever bet on Ex Machina winning visual effects in uh, 2015, <laughs> 2016, whatever it was, 2015, uh, they, they they made a killing off of that. I'm telling you right now, because that was the, the one time that I can think of where a number five film in a category somehow won. Uh, but otherwise, it's, it's incredibly it was, rare. It was a brilliant film. And I will just say, look, being conservative, that's for your office Oscar pool. This is yeah, not the place yeah. to be conservative. If you want to actually, if you're going to, I feel like if you're going to bet on the Oscars, you got to take a few long shots. You got to, you got to try and pick that one category where you think there's going to be a, you know, a, a dark horse in some plus money to actually win something. Cause there's just going to be no fun going chalk all the way down, all the way no, down. No, no. I mean, I, I, I agree in that sense. Yeah. I guess what I meant before when I was saying that was I was thinking about the office pool side of things, but for sure. Oh, yeah. 
yeah. for sure. Yeah. We're all for trying sure. to win no, those offices. If you're schools. actually laying money down, you got you got to have a little fun. I feel like I, I would oh, encourage yeah. people to have a little fun with it. And I think there are some categories this year where the number two film, uh, you know, could very well net you, you know, not the biggest amount in the world. Uh, but I really do think that the number two film in some categories uh, can definitely prevail here. I can't wait. I can't wait for Oscar Sunday. You can find our guest, Matt Neglia, on Twitter at Next Best Picture. He is the owner and editor-in-chief of NextBestPicture.com and the host of the Next Best Picture podcast. Again, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Thank you very much for joining us, my friend. And hey, thanks, Matt. Thanks, let's Matt. go Oscars. Yeah, thank you guys so much. West Coast Gamblers. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! All right, boys, we've heard all the information. We had the expert speak to us. He told us where his liens were. We've heard all the odds. There are other awards to be given out as well. I've opened them all up to the three of us to try and give the one bet out to our fans. The backup, the Bringstruck bet of the week for the Oscars, how we can make you money. I'm going to go first. Well, he said uh, many a times it's you can look at the second favorite in some of these awards and tr- see if they can try and steal one. And I didn't get to talk about exactly how much I hated the movie Mank, but it was awarded, it was it was promoted, it has Best Picture, it has Best Actor, it has Best Supporting Actress, it has all these awards out there, and it's not going to win any of the big ones. But no one loves Hollywood more than Hollywood. And so they're going to give something to Mank. And I think the best chance for them to do that, because as boring as this movie was, as uninteresting as I was in it, it was a beautifully Mank stank. It was a beautifully shot movie. Okay, it had the, it just had some really cool shots, some really cool set pieces. I really enjoyed watching the movie and seeing what was going on. I am looking cinematography for Mank at plus three fifty. That is my backup. The Bringstruck bet for Oscar Sunday: Mank to win best cinematography plus three fifty. Diggity dangles. Man, uh, I think I'm going to go to the category of uh, best actress here, which seems crazy, I know, because as we just heard from our guest Matt Neglia, that category is wide, wide open. And, and it really is, as we, as we mentioned, four out of the five actresses in that category have won lead-up awards to that. SAG, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, um, uh, Golden Globe. Vanessa Kirby is the only one who hasn't. I think if you're feeling really frisky and you have some extra money to throw around, there's no harm in sprinkling a little bit on the 20 20 to 1 odds for Vanessa Kirby no to chance. take home Best Actress as um, uh, uh, 
or this time around. However, I think if you want to make certain money and still be getting plus odds on something, you put the money on Viola Davis to win mm. over Carrie Mulligan. You're still getting two to one odds. I still think that's a pretty decent price. So I'm going to say that my Brinks truck bet is Viola Davis for best actress. I love Viola Davis. She is always a force of nature when she is on screen. She she demands your attention and everything she does feels like a ma- an acting masterclass. Um, and I think she's well deserving despite the fact that she's won before. And I know some people are saying like, let's give it you know to somebody who hasn't hasn't won it before. Viola Davis at plus two hundred to win for best actress uh, for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. That is Dangles. Lock it in. Brinks truck bet of the week. Clearly, Dangles did not listen to anything Matt Negley was saying during his interview. Drew, what do you have? I got my own. I got my own sources. Hey, I I am listening to the expert here. I'm staying in that category. Okay, uh, but I, to- I I I totally agree with Matt was saying because listen, this McDormand role. I, again, Tony, the line of the the season, but I, I just I simply didn't un- understand the draw of the film. I, I I didn't get it. You know, call me stupid. I didn't get Mank. You know, I've I've been I've been looking at films for over a decade now, really into them. Didn't understand it. Viola Davis, she's 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 a champion, man. She's a champion. She's brilliant. But like what he said, a little more reserved, a little supporting. Chadwick outshadowed her. I, I, th- this has got to go to Carrie Mulligan. It's yeah. got to go to Carrie Mulligan. Yeah. So I'm backing up my Brinks truck. I, I, I still get plus money on here. Yep. Plus 125, Carrie Mulligan. Uh, long time coming for her. That's going to be my backup, the Brinks truck. Best actress. And I'm also a little bonus bet. I want to be shaved for the sharp without a little bonus bet. I am going to go a little sprinkle on Maria Bakalova at plus 375. Because if she doesn't win an Oscar, she freaking deserves one. The, the, the shit she did in that movie <laughs> was unbelievable. And for her to make her debut role uh, in, that, in that form, in that setting, very, very talented performer. I think she deserves a look. So I'm going to sprinkle something on the long shot. Well, not long shot. Second odds, yep. as Matt said, plus 375. But put me down back up the brink truck. Carrie Mulligan, wife of Marcus Mumford. Plus 125. Wow. Wow. Look at you with the stats in the background. And you two are going against it. I think we got an old-fashioned beer bet for the Oscars. Nothing better between Dangles and Drew. Beer bet. But that is the end of our Oscar coverage. Next week, it's all about the draft, the NFL draft. The ballerina big board is coming out on Monday, and we have the gambling soothsayer, the hitman himself, coming in on Wednesday. And we're going to give out some draft bets to make you money on the opening round Thursday night. But first, it's the Oscars. Wear your black tie, have a glass of wine, enjoy yourself, put your feet up, and listen to Hollywood elitists tell you why, how you should live your life. I can't wait to see it happen. The Oscars are coming Sunday for Tony Cavallo, for Matthew Dangles, D'Angelo Antonio, for Schaefer the Sharp, Drew Schaefer Crooks, and we are the West Coast Gamblers. And as always, thank you for listening. Whole squad fast cash. Send the bookie, tell him bring it from the bag. No, we coming for the bag. Cub C to the G, West Coast gang. Who you betting on? Always on black, fast stacks in the pocket. Whole squad fast cash. Send the bookie, tell him bring it from the bag. No, we coming for the bag. Sets up deep in the pocket. Goes down the field for Smith. He got it! Smith! Touchdown! 85 yards! Dub C to the G. West Coast Gamblers. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. 
Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.